so often we've all heard about the Omicron variant. As always, there's some uncertainty about another variant. It is early days. But we're taking the uncertainty in our stride as we're confident that everyone else in education and care will too. Hello and welcome to the 2021 Annual Report podcast. Well, hello, Amanda. Thank you so much for talking to us about the annual report this year. I've got a few questions to ask you just to take us through some of the main themes. So first of all, you've said it was a difficult year to be young this year. What are some of the main COVID knock-on effects that we've seen on children and young people? Well, we've seen so much, haven't we? And the the good news has been that for, for most children, COVID hasn't been something that has directly affected their own health. Consequences just have been enormous on on so many fronts. But of course, their life is about so much more than just their state of health. A good education, we know, is what lays solid foundations for children. And when you take that away, um, everything else becomes a bit unsteady and uncertain. So we've seen for, for most children the loss of quite a lot of education, we've seen disrupted routines, we've seen the loss of so many sort of physical and cultural and creative activities. And we've seen that leading to loneliness, boredom, misery, becoming endemic among the young. And for some, the damage runs deeper and will be harder to fix. And we're talking some serious mental health problems, for example, around eating disorders, anxiety, self-harm, some quite serious issues. And can I just ask, in terms of early years, you know, obviously, predominantly, sometimes we hear about schools and the effect there because they were closed. But there was obviously impact on on those who were younger as well. What have we seen there? There has been. And for some, it's been a very happy time at home with parents. But for for many, um, it's meant time that they they haven't been able to get out into parks, into playgrounds. So we've seen some physical development, even though for some young children, it's, it, it hasn't made very much difference to their lives. For, um, for some, it absolutely has. Thank you. So I'm just going to ask, what do you think about any changes in the relationship between parents and, and schools, colleges, um, early year settings, now that many more families have had an experience of home childcare, teaching and trying to work too? <laughs> it's not been an easy juggle, has it? It hasn't been easy. And I know that many parents have a newfound respect for teachers and nursery workers for the, for the for the job they do in teaching and looking after quite large groups of children day in day out i also know know many parents who who were immensely relieved to have their children return to school when they realized of quite how much work home education really is and of course remote education is is a great deal better than nothing but it isn't a substitute for the classroom So we are really concerned about making sure that education is as normal as possible as soon as it can be. And we know how much children have lost and it's clear from so many directions. So, of course, remote education um, is very definitely better than nothing, but it's nowhere near a full substitute for the classroom experience for most children. So what we are concerned about is making sure that education gets back to being as normal as possible, as quickly as possible. Remote education just has been less effective than the normal kind. What have we seen about how schools are approaching catch-up? Many schools are putting in tutoring and other, other support arrangements. Um, but for most children, as I've, I've said quite a few times, most catch-up is going to happen in their normal classroom with their normal teachers. So the, the very first job of schools is to make sure that children are at school um, whenever they can be and that those lessons are as good as they can possibly be. 
I was absolutely delighted when my children were able to return to school. Um, they listen far much more to their teachers than they do to me, if I'm entirely honest, Amanda, even though I've been a teacher in the past. Many children this term testing positive themselves. We also know that there's there have been quite a lot of other infections around. We've heard that children's immunity, all our immunity is lower for, for, for lack of exposure. And we're still seeing children absent. So there's, there've been quite high absence rates. And of course, within that, it's quite hard to know what is very temporary absence what and what is concerning absence, whether it's about persistent absence in the, in, in the sense that schools put so much effort into managing and what's children being withdrawn from school to be home educated. And there's always been an energetic and enthusiastic home education community that really embraces parent-led schooling. Um, but the reality is that the energy and time commitment and expertise that are needed to do the job well just is beyond most parents' capacity. So I'm very concerned by the reports of greatly increased home education numbers and I'm very much looking forward to the attendance picture settling down so that we can really understand where children are. Yeah, thank you. That's really helpful. Um, so if we flip this slightly and think, well, has anything good come out of this situation that we've seen on our inspection? Are there any lessons that um, the sector has learned and we've been able to reflect on ourselves? Some of the reports we've published have drawn out mm. the things that schools have found they've been able to do well and have learnt from. For example, I think many schools have discovered the joys of online parent meetings and, and found that those can be quite productive. I think many schools feel that they now are much better equipped to provide for children who aren't able to attend school for a period for, for whatever reason. I think most schools would say they have learned a lot from COVID and some things that they won't lose just because the pandemic may be coming to an end. Things like virtual parents meetings, many schools have embraced those and found, found that they're, they're really efficient way of communicating with parents. I think many schools think they've got better um, at dealing with children who have to be out of school for a period, that they understand much better how to set and manage children working remotely. I think that's something that will, that will stick with them. So there, there are definitely some silver linings here alongside this core message um, that the vast majority of children are happiest and learn most when they're at school. I think we saw some real leaps forward for some schools in terms of how they engage with their community, didn't we? You know, and the ability to step in and develop some of those relationships in quite an intense period, should we say. <laughs> It's been it's been very intense and and schools have rightly been 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 concerned about the children who are, who are most vulnerable in all communities, the ones for whom the there's a line of sight um, from the school could other could otherwise have been lost. It's been a real juggling act for schools to try and do that and educate remotely. We've talked plenty about the pandemic and the impact that that had, but it wasn't only that that took up quite a lot of time and thought this year. For us, we undertook our review of sexual abuse in schools and colleges, peer-on-peer -peer sexual abuse in schools and colleges. What would some of your ideal outcomes be after that work? This was such a big piece of work for us. And I think we found that in some of the schools we visited, teachers and leaders sort of consistently underestimated the scale of the problem. Sometimes they weren't identifying sexual harassment and sexualized language as significant problems, or they did, just didn't treat them very seriously when they did happen, or just didn't even know that they were happening. Though they were all aware that easy access to pornography had set unhealthy expectations of sexual relationships and was shaping perceptions of women, women and girls in undesirable ways. So we were very much focused, not narrowly on 
sort of safeguarding aspects, but more generally on the sort of culture building, on what schools and colleges can do, working on the assumption that these things are happening to at least some of the children in, in, in their schools, to really strengthen a culture where, where all the different kinds of sexual harassment and abuse can be recognised and addressed, and with sanctions when appropriate, and where with things like an RSHE curriculum that, that's really well sequenced with time for the topics that children and young people find most difficult, where they can talk about things like cons consent and sharing explicit images. And to do that well, schools and colleges really need to make sure that the teachers who have to teach RSHE really understand what they're doing, are well trained and really committed to doing it. Beyond that, we also see the need for sort of better engagement between the safeguarding partners and schools. Um, it was a bit concerning. We found local safeguarding partnerships that, that that told us they really didn't think it was a problem in their area, whereas what we found in the reviews suggest, suggested that this is affecting the vast majority of young people, especially girls, all around the country. And we did also find that we needed to adjust the, the safeguarding um, aspect of inspection as well. Sometimes they hadn't been quite as robust as they could have been around sexual harassment. If where, where, where schools had told us that sexual harassment wasn't a problem, um, we hadn't always sort of followed up to make sure that there that there weren't past in incidents that that, that that weren't being surfaced in the conversation. So we have made some changes to our own um, inspection handbooks and practices and training. So we just think a bit about SEND now, um, children with special educational needs and disabilities and, and children in care. So it's been a difficult time for some of the most vulnerable. Ofsted's role here is particularly important. So where do you see us working in this space and what can we do that has an impact? A very large proportion of our work um, is actually targeted at the needs of children with SEND, because when you add up um, the aspects of childcare, school and college inspections that are about um, SEND provision, plus the area SEND inspections we do looking at, at, at provision across local areas that's joint jointly with um, CQC and our inspections of special schools and all the work we do looking at children's home and local authority um, children's services which of course are disproportionately provided to children with special needs um, there's a very significant slice of our work there and the pandemic's been particularly tough for them we know that schools were asked to have those children into school, but nevertheless, a very small proportion of vulnerable children took up took up those places. So for those who did attend, they had the opportunity to have more teacher attention, more more teacher input than usual. But many of them were were just out of out of sight. And, and we also know that many of the services on which those children and their families depend were put on hold during COVID. Um, speech and language therapists were redeployed for other roles, for example. I know what a tough time it's been for families as well as children. And there's a large part in this, you know, I would, well, sometimes people can read the summary of an annual report, which I can understand if you're a time press practitioner, but there there really is some some helpful detail on this in the report. So so in terms of the, the specific difficulties that, that, that many children had, I mean, of course, some children just struggled to to access remote education at all, um, especially if they didn't have parents of, on hand to help help them through their schoolwork. Then the, some of those children are at risk of abuse or neglect and weren't getting any time in the, in the, in the classroom with their teacher. And just the pressure on parents. 
Now, we've just been asked to carry out more FE and skills inspections by the DfE because young people need high quality teaching more than ever before. So do you have a message for young people currently on the cusp between education and their next steps? What would you say to them? First of all, I want to say to all teenagers, I know quite how difficult it's been. Nobody attending sixth form or college has had the same experience that um, they, they would have had normally. But particularly for those who've been on the, the more practically oriented courses, it just hasn't been possible to provide the same kind of experience that they would have had if they'd been able to attend routinely. And when you get to the young people who've been doing apprenticeships or on the job training, so many of those young people have had severe disruption and at worst they've been furloughed or even lost their jobs. And it's it's an unusual job market at the moment for young people leaving school or college, though perhaps not as tough as we feared that it might be. But the economic legacy of COVID is looming over us. There are great pressures on apprenticeships which don't seem likely to ease any time, time soon. And the situation in further education is tricky because we've got so many fewer apprenticeship placements at a time when the economy is screaming for skilled workers. But I do want to thank um, the providers who have worked so hard to provide remote or online training opportunities for apprentices. Where that's been possible, it's clearly been way better than nothing. And also to say thank you for everybody who's worked with employers to make apprenticeships secure and successful. And I think we can also say that apprentices, most apprentices have been remarkably re resilient in the circumstances and the changes that have been made to make sure they don't fall behind any further um, than is abs absolutely unavoidable in the circumstances have been really welcome. Remote apprenticeships, I do see as very much a second best option that should be reserved for crises like a pandemic. And face-to-face -face training for apprentices is still the gold standard for most industries. industries. So what's the picture like in social care? Well, there's no question it's been a challenging year for everyone. I think all services have been under pressure. The most vulnerable children have definitely been affected by this. We have seen fantastic work from workers in social care in very difficult circumstances. And we've seen them find imaginative ways to help children. What are some of the main problems here? Well, there are long-standing problems that we've been reporting on for, for years, and there are still too many children um, with complex needs that just aren't being met. What are some of the main problems here? Well, we've been reporting for years on some very long-standing problems, and there are still too many children, especially with complex needs, um, who just aren't getting the care they need. The two biggest issues here seem to be places, um, getting the right placement in, in, in the right area, and the specialist health services. And the pandemic has definitely made these worse. When it comes to places, so much here is about getting the continuity and stability with the strong, consistent relationships between the staff in children's homes and the children themselves. The pandemic isolation has disrupted this, and sometimes it's con actually contributed um, to children's self-harming and other destructive behaviour. And how have staff helped young people? Staff have often had to rely on technology to help children keep in touch with their families. But we have found that some children found this less stressful than seeing family face to face. And more generally, we do an annual survey um, in which children told us that they really valued the support that staff had given them, especially around helping them understand what was going on with the pandemic and keeping safe, as well as making sure that they still had fun and had opportunities to see their family and friends.
Thank you. Well, I think that's probably about it for our um, session today. Um, thank you so much for the reflections that you provided on the annual report lessons. I think it's a, a helpful overview of the work that we do, but also a key time to reflect and thank some of the providers out there who have worked above and beyond. And, and most of all, say to some of the children and learners that we appreciate things have been tough. So thank you, Amanda. I think we'll probably leave it there for today. Is there any last thoughts I haven't asked you about that you think it would be helpful to just add? Just summing up, I would like to say that the, the resilience and flexibility that we've seen has, has done many people enormous credit. 